At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, HVAC people? So we're back for another podcast. We have a fabulous guest. The name of this podcast is Organic Refrigeration Discussion, and that's exactly what it is. I got Chris Cassie on the podcast. He is from the Boston area. That's about as far as my Boston accent goes, the Boston area. And Chris is a fabulous guy, super nice guy, knowledgeable about the trade. And we're going to talk about a bunch of different things revolving refrigeration, like the differences between AC and refrigeration, defrost, um, inline drain heaters, uh, headmaster controls, a couple things before we get into it. One, I had to use Zoom on this one, and sometimes Zoom is not the best when your internet connection goes up and down a little bit. So there are spots in the podcast where there's a little bit of lagging. Not a big deal, but I just want to let you know. Also, I had a visitor two times, actually three times during the podcast. Little visitor. I was going to edit out every single visit <laughs> from him. Little guy, four years old. But I let the first two slide. The third one, he comes and interrupts again. And you can kind of hear me getting off track a little bit. I'm just kind of, the wheels are turning in my head and I can't focus. And I had to edit that the last three or four minutes out because he was just there. And it was, <laughs> it was one of those things. My wife was out and she wasn't around to, to contain him. And he did a good job for, for a while, but it just came to came to a head anyway guys i just want to let you know that happens in the podcast but it's it's kind of cute anyway we're going to get to this right now chris cassie organic refrigeration discussion this is the hvac know it all podcast guys i'm your host gary mccready welcome to the hvac know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in toronto canada your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Hey, Chris. What's happening, man? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I got to thank you for getting with me here on sh like such short notice because... I literally messaged yeah. you like two days ago and I'm like, Hey man, you want to be uh, on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I appreciate you just asking me, man. No, no, no problem. Like if you've, if you've listened to the podcast before, um, my buddy, Matt yes. Waxer, who, mm -hmm. who has been like, almost like this, like, um, beacon of light for me because every once in a while he'd be like, Hey, I have a great guest idea for you. And I'll be like, sweet who is it yeah. and then he'll tell me and then i'll reach out to them we'll talk and be like wow that was a good guest um and that was a great interview 
and he just seems to have a knack for finding quality nice. people that would that would be great on the podcast so he picked you he told me about you and uh so that should make you feel good about yeah. yourself <laughs> yeah I've, I've messaged matt a couple times over instagram and, and stuff he seems like a really great guy so yeah i don't know where he gets the time to do all his homework on everybody but um i appreciate it 100 <laughs> percent. yeah matt, if you're listening exactly. i appreciate it 100 percent. so you do a lot of refrigeration work right yes mainly okay that's now, that's awesome that's awesome because we haven't really talked about refrigeration really as like a, a podcast topic so if you don't mind okay. we can get into a few discussions revolving refrigeration and maybe some basic stuff and how it might be different from air conditioning and whatnot is that okay with you sure absolutely and so everybody knows this is the first time that Chris and I have actually spoken um, through, through text message we've spoken, but this is the first time we've actually got on a call with each other. So this is going to be yeah. very organic and naturally flowing and all that kind of stuff. So like, like yeah. the way I always say it, I, I want to learn about you with the audience because I find that's, that's the most natural way to do it. Yeah, definitely. So you, let's, let's start off with, with sort of what you do day to day like you do a lot of um you say mainly refrigeration so what kind of refrigeration are you doing is it uh commercial um is it industrial like what, what kind of stuff are you doing um it's commercial okay commercial refrigerator I've, I've i do do hvac too um just really not as much anymore like probably 98 percent of what i do now is commercial refrigeration okay so, so. what sort of I guess what sort of uh, facilities are you maintaining in the commercial realm of things? Is it, is it uh, supermarkets? Is yeah. it smaller stores? Is it warehouses? Like what are you, what are you doing? Um, I have done, I've done all of it really. Um, yeah. Now, now mainly what I do, we do some restaurant stuff. Not really. There's only a few that we do. I'm the company that I work for. Mm -hmm. What I do is I take care of a lot of, walk-ins coolers freezers anywhere from a little one to big refrigerated warehouses um i did do uh supermarket rack work for i did that for about 12 and a half years um, we no longer do that account anymore so i don't do the rack stuff anymore i you know look like i said little regions all the way up to big walk-ins rack systems um ice machines not as much of those anymore either but used to do a lot of ice machine work as well um, some old, like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, the old, like, ice houses? They have, like, a big places where they pack boxes with ice. Like, they ice machines that are, like, huge. I've never the seen those. The big barrels that spin for the evaps on them and everything. Wow. Big, big ice. Yeah, they call them ice houses. At least they do down here. I used to do a few of those um, back in the day. What are they doing with the ice? Um, This was a place that was a... um. Uh, you know the catering trucks, the coffee trucks okay. or whatever that yep. come to a job yep. site saying they get all the food and drinks and all that? This was one of those places. They sold all the food to those catering trucks and stuff like that. And they'd have this huge house, ice house where they'd come up and shovel their ice out of. Uh, it's a big giant flakers, ice flakers. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so yeah. they'd shovel it all into their, you know, in the side of the truck where they keep the drinks all in the ice. It was like for stuff like that from catering places. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, 
we got to talk about how refrigeration let, let's pretend that it's all it's all guys that just do heating and air conditioning that are listening to this and there's nobody that knows refrigeration whatsoever mm -hmm. so i think we got to talk about the difference between like air conditioning and refrigeration like there i know the concept is 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 the same okay we have the, yeah. the four major components but how how is right. refrigeration a little bit different from air conditioning well I mean, you do refrigeration too, don't you? Yourself? I do. I, I, I yeah. I, I, I dabble. I yes. dabble. I don't do um like a ton yes. of it, but I do enough of it to, to, yep. to, to say that every month or every week that I'll be involved with it at some point. Yeah, I would say. Well, obviously, the one major obvious thing is that it's colder. <laughs> you get, you know, you got your coolers and your freezers. Yep. Um. Obviously, you have you have different components as well. Like, like we were talking about earlier, you know, you got solenoid valves, defrost clocks, you know, you can have hot gas valves, hold, hold back valves, things like that, that a lot of AC doesn't have, at least mm -hmm. the AC that I've done. I, you know, I don't work on big chillers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do much with like water type stuff, but a lot of it's the temp, I would say, you know, like I said, the clocks, on a different types of valves and just as an on-call point of view that refrigeration is really you know it can be a major emergency yes you know you can have millions of dollars of product at, at stake because i also didn't mention i do a lot of work too now for um cold rooms they call them and a lot of science labs pharmaceutical yep. places and uh, okay. medical medical facilities place it with with hot gas and everything okay hot gas injection and all that stuff where everything has to be right on the money all the time temperature wise i do a lot of the, i do you a know. lot of farm pharmaceutical stuff too and when you say mm -hmm. hot gas injection like what, what what exactly are you referring to um you know <clears throat> excuse me it's not not like a hot gas defrost it's not a defrost it's a um off your condensing unit, you tap off the discharge line and you run a third line, yep. which is your hot, your hot gas line. And it goes down to your evaporator and you put in, it's called an ASC port, which stands for like auxiliary side port. Mm -hmm. It looks like, it sort of looks like a T. I'm spoiling, we'll make them. But there's little, not orifices in them. You have to put the orifice before them, the orifice coming out of your expansion valve. So the hot gas gets injected right into your evaporator after the expansion valve. Mm -hmm. So say like a lot of the boxes we deal with there, we usually deal with Fahrenheit down here, but at all these places, it's all in Celsius. So say you want to maintain five degrees Celsius, which is what most of the coolers run at. You have to have that hot gas being injected into those coils to warm them up. If you would need it, otherwise you would go too, too cold. You know what I mean? And as you got too warm, the hot gas valve would cycle down. We use electronic hot gas valves mm -hmm. or electronic expansion valves, and you put them in backwards. That's what Spolin tells you to do. You put them in with the arrow going the wrong way if you're using an electronic expansion valve on that Wait, line. So can, you, can you say that again? So what are we putting yeah. in backwards? Sorry. Sorry. And, you know, an electronic TXV expansion yeah. valve? Yeah, yeah. 
the older way they were doing that before they were coming out with these um, electronic hot gas valves is that you would put in these electronic expansion valves, but you would put them in backwards. I really still don't know the reasoning behind you that. You put them in backwards to feed the hot gas into the evaporator? Yes. And these really? hot gas valves are usually a lot of the times when we do them, we, we install them up in the condensing unit. Mm -hmm. And they're wired in with um, those Sporland, what are they, the IB1 boards. And there's another board now. There's a newer board they're using, with the, which are the now hot gas valves. So the new board they're using is, I forget the model number off it, but, and, and the valves, the, the, there's sort of a smaller version of, you know, do you know like an electronic EPR valve that you yep. have, like say in like a rack system or whatever, like an SD10 valve, I think it's an SD10, whatever. We use smaller ones in these systems are like SD6s, I believe, SD2s for some smaller boxes. But they basically operate the same way. And the sensors down in the box that for the temperature that, that we don't do the controls. There's another company we work with that does that, but it, it, it tells the board what to do for the hot gas valve and how much hot gas to meter in to the system. So basically what you're doing when this is getting metered in, you are, you are running a constant temp. You only go like maybe within a 10th, two tenths of a degree of um, your set point, mm -hmm. if, if not run right on the money, if everything is working as it should. So let me, ask, you, let, let me ask yeah. you this. So you're calling it hot gas injection and the way you described mm -hmm. it sounds exactly like, like hot gas bypass to me. So is it, it's the same thing as what you're describing or is it a little bit different in some way? Yes. It's, it's sort of like a hot gas defrost. If you're familiar with that, like on a freezer, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about like hot gas bypass where you actually inject hot gas bypass into the evaporator in a low load condition to keep the evaporator temp up. It sounds exactly like that as, as what you're describing. Yes, yes. It pretty much okay. acts exactly like that. Got, gotcha. It, it's, it's just like these valves usually are never open like, you know, 100% mm -hmm. like full bore or anything like that. They, they just meter because those valves, you know, they're all stepper valves. Yeah. So it's pretty much whatever the sensors are telling that um, board to do, then it tells the valve to do it. That, that's pretty cool because the, the hot gas bypass valves that I usually, the, the hot gas bypass setups that I usually see are mm -hmm. a solenoid valve. And then after a sol the solenoid valve is a mechanical mm -hmm. hot gas bypass that works off of the, the suction pressure. As the suction pressure drops off, it actually starts yep. to feed hot gas. And then the way you set them up is like, you try to get your suction pressure as low as possible. And then you start adjusting mm -hmm. that valve to raise it back up to where you want it to be. So this, this yep. seems a little bit more intricate the, the way you're, you're um, describing it with the electronic hot gas bypass yeah. valve almost. Yes. Yeah. Because these systems are very, um, very sophisticated, I guess you'd say with the controls and everything. Yeah. They're, sounds like, like it. I said, we don't do the controls. Like I said, we have another company we work with that does that, but, you know, I do a lot of the startups on those and get everything dialed in. And, you know, I do um, the majority of the service work for my company on those type of boxes. And believe me, they can be a real nightmare sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, trust me. Ph pharmaceutical is, yeah. is one of those beasts where the, it'll, it's, it's good to have because it always gives you work. But 
at the same time, it can pull you out of bed at any time, any given time of the day, especially yes. if they're running, running a process or whatever they're doing, right? Yes. Um, a lot of the systems we do too, they're redundant systems. Mm-hmm. You know, so each box has two systems. That's good. If not more. Yeah. So if one does happen to go down, the other one will take over. Mm-hmm. And they usually run on a, like a seven day cycle or whatever as well. So they sort of have equal runtime. That's good. Yep. But even if they do, we still get called out for that. Especially one of our customers, we, they want you out there. They don't care what it is, what time it is, whatever. You got to be there. So. Well, that's way more advanced than some of the stuff that, because I, I have one building where there's five boxes, mm-hmm. uh, three of them are coolers, two of them are freezers, and they have redundant systems, but I go on a monthly, I go on a monthly walk around. Um, the quarterly is yep. more, more in depth. The month, monthly, like in between is like a walk around, make sure um, there's no weird things popping out at me. And, and one of the things I do is switch over um, like manually that the, the stats so that they, they get equal run times. They're not actually timed on any kind of controller. So I, I got to do yep. that manually myself. <laughs> yeah. These, these are no big deal. Yeah. Some of these ones that we do, you should see these control panels, man. They're, they're five, six feet tall with thousands of wires in them and that are going to all kinds of stuff. Sensors for everything you could possibly think of, which can also make a lot of nuisance alarms as well. You yes, know? it can. Yeah, the more, <laughs> more, more bells and whistles, the more things that break, right? Yes. And it, some of it's really ridiculous, but it, it is what it is. These, some of these coolers, like I said, they could have millions of dollars worth of samples in them, products, whatever they do. You know, I remember years ago, I worked in a, in a freezer. It was, it was like a minus 20 freezer. And I'm like, oh, what's in this thing? You know, I'm talking to the customer and they're like, oh, there's about $2 million worth of stem cell stamp samples in there this thing was just full of stem cell sample all these little vials like medical like thousands of them yeah it's like oh my god talk about the pressure being on with stuff like that too at times <laughs> yeah. like you you have to get it running and then it's like please don't let me drop a wrench or anything on something that's going to cost a million dollars yeah you know <laughs> it's crazy what's up guys so I finally got the 557s and the 159 smart probes going with MeasureQuick. It actually works the way it's described. You can use your 557s or 550s along with your smart probe temp clamps on the MeasureQuick app so you can go completely wireless. Okay, you gotta remember though, the 557s and the 550s, the Bluetooth is not just on all the time like the smart probes. You actually have to turn it on in order to connect. So it does work, I used it. It was a really good experience and it was really cool. Um, if you guys are into Measure Quick and you're into Testo, you now have this capability. I was uh, going through my truck and I found my old flaring block. I've had it forever, like the thing's solid. And I found my old swaging dies, which I've also had forever, they're solid too. But I can't believe I used to swage this way. I'd put the pipe in, lock it down with the flaring block, put the swage die in, and knock the swage die down. And I always found it was a bit of a pain in the ass because you had to have the swage die in right, and if you weren't hammering on the right angle, uh, you'd put a little, the swage would be kind of cockeyed. And then I'm, I'm going through and, and showing my hydraulic swaging kit 
from Navac, I'm going, we came from this to, to that. It's just, it's crazy, the, the advancement of tools. So now I do not swage anything unless it's with that hydraulic kit because it's, it's the bomb, as the kids say. I had the pleasure, okay, last week of trying out the jet gun by Aircom. Cool Air Products is carrying it in North America. So basically what it is, is it's a battery-powered power washer for coil cleaning. It's got three bags. Each bag is about 2.4 gallons, I believe. Now in the podcast, I'm talking to Chris about using this, and I I think I said that the the bags are one gallon each, but they're around 2.4 gallons each. And I have a video on YouTube. I'll put the link in the podcast summary so you guys can check it out. It's a pretty cool tool especially for remote units or if you're just doing one on a roof or like walk-in evaporators stuff like that you guys check out that video okay so upcoming on the 25th of august okay at 7 a.m is my boy jamie kitchen he works for dan foss okay jamie was actually one of my shop instructors back in the day when i went to school at trade school for refrigeration and he works for dan foss now and he's going to do a Q&A, and he, he's basically a TXV guru. The guy knows everything about TXVs, like inside and out. And he's going to do a, a Q&A, okay? Um, Dan Foss, obviously, is hosting it because he works for them. 7 a.m., August 25th. I'll also leave that link in the podcast notes as well. Blue On, we talked to them last week. Brian Johnson, guys, very smart guy, knowledgeable and we talked about how the app you can call tech support from the app anytime you want regarding anything ac which is very very cool so download that blue on app use it to your advantage because there's a ton of tools on there and as always guys true tech tools save eight percent on your purchase with promo code know-it-all except for fluke and fleer let's get back to chris So there are, there are two things that I can think of that differentiate AC and refrigeration Two two things that kind of pop out mm-hmm. one, one being the, the TD, like, cause in AC, we have our yep. e- EVAP, um, is around 40 degrees or so. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the return air coming back, let's say is around 75. So we're talking about like mm-hmm. a 35 degree TD, but in, in like, let's say we talk about, um, like a, a walk-in cooler. So we want to maintain, let's say we want to maintain, what do we want to maintain in there? Um, well, for 35 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Yeah. Maybe any, 35 degrees from, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Anywhere and, 34 to 40, depending on what the customer would want or what they yeah, have in there. Normally. That's right. So our, our evaporator is going to be around 25 ish, right? Yes. Somewhere, somewhere yep. around there. Yeah. In the, yeah, yep. in the twenties usually. Yep. Yeah. And then the, the return air coming back is, so we have like usually like a, a 10 to 15 degree TD in refrigeration or at least for a walk-in box anyway. So the, yes. the, T, the TD yeah. is, is, is a, is a huge difference. That's one of the big differences yeah. in refrigeration. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other big thing is something that um, you talked about in one of your videos is with the defrost time clocks is, is defrost wanting to, to kill the compressor and throw the system into a defrost. Yeah. Um, those are two major things that, that I can think of. Um, there's other bells and whistles 
here and there, but th- those are the two ones I think that stand out the most. And, and this is the one thing that I wanted to ask you because this has been debated on, and I think this might be a regional thing depending on humidity and the amount of runtime and all that kind of stuff. But do you yeah. put, do you put uh, um, a defrost time clock on a walk-in cooler that's maintaining 35 to 40 degrees? Do you put a time clock on those or no? Absolutely. Do you? Okay. Yes, we do here anyway. At least what I work with. Okay. Because there's, there's a bunch of um, coolers I take care of and none of them have defrost time clocks. They just cycle off and then the air, which is above 32, is passing by the coil and it melts the ice. The only, right. time, the only time I've ever had a problem with these coolers icing up is in a high humidity period, like in the summer when it's very, very humid, or in like mm-hmm. the spring when it's raining a lot, and the door of that cooler has a lot of activity because there's people going in and out, in and out, in and out. And then yes. because the door, the door is opening so much, it can't maintain the box. And because the box can't maintain, it's running and running and running. It just keeps running, and it never actually shuts down to defrost, so the, the, the ice just kind of builds and builds. That's, yes. and I've only seen that like literally the, these two facilities that I'm thinking of that have quite a few uh, coolers amongst them. I've only seen this about three or four times in about six or seven years. So it's very odd or rare oh, wow. that it happens. Yeah. Wow. We yeah. get it a lot here. Do you? A lot. But in the summers we have like, especially this, it's like wicked humid here a lot in the summer. So we have a lot with humidity and we have a lot of, customers that you know that will just leave doors open because they don't care and certain not in these like big fancy you know pharmaceutical places but say in restaurants or other, i do a lot of work at produce places as well produce distribution places and they're constantly in and out because they're loading trucks all day long the doors are mm-hmm. pretty much open you know you have strip curtains and all that but when it's high heat it's no good yeah and, and, and high the other humidity, thing and some design, some design um, features that I'm seeing is that evaporators right at the door of the walk-in or, or the drive-in door, like where the, the fork truck comes in. Like, why would you put them yeah. right, right at the yeah. door? Let's put them far, furthest away from the door as we possibly can no. to avoid that when that door opens, that heat rising up and the moisture grabbing yep. um, the coil yep. and then freezing on it. Those are the first ones to ice up. Never fails. <laughs> you know, always by the door. And there are always the dirtiest ones as well, mm-hmm. which that also comes to cleanliness too. Yeah. If you don't have your airflow and your TD, you're also going to freeze up a lot quicker as well. Yeah. You know, so we yeah, have a lot you, of that. And if you don't have your airflow, you're also going to potentially not get rid of the heat or, or not absorb enough heat. Sorry. Um, from yep. from from that refrigerant and that could go back to the compressor as a liquid right yes then you're running a you know too high or wrong superheated your compressor and burn that out too and the other thing that that i think here that is should be discussed in about refrigeration as it differs from ac is that there's not as much of a volume of gas coming back to the compressor to keep it cool so a lot of compressors mm. that I've seen in back, like back in the day, I used to see these, um, this, this really old uh, food storage place that had a bunch of freezers in it or a bunch of freezing units in it. 
Um, it would have oil coolers to keep the oil cool uh, yep. for the, for the compressor or some, some of the, the, the scrolls that I see nowadays actually monitor um, the temperature of the compressor. And when it gets too hot, it injects a liquid from the liquid line into the head of the compressor to cool it down. Yep. So that's, that's one of the yep. other major differences too, is that the compressors run hotter. Um, I was working on one just two months ago or so. And by the time the, 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 the gas got back to the compressor through the, the piping and all that, there was like 75 degrees of superheat. Yeah. Wow. Right? And, and that's why, that's why, because as that gas is moving mm -hmm. through, that's such a low volume of gas. So it's picking up heat faster as it moves through um, the building or the, uh, across the roof or whatever. And then that's why these things have oil coolers and liquid injection in them. You, you work on a lot yep. that have these on there. Um, we have some, I, there's some now I'm trying to think exactly where they are, but um, I used to have a bunch when we did, I'm, I'm not going to mention the chain of stores that we used to do. Cause I don't know if I should, but you no, know, with okay. rack you, systems. You, you don't have to mention that. Yep. Yeah, it was stuff with rack systems and stuff like that. There was um, a lot of them that had the, um, the liquid injection or on just, you know, separate condensing units as well. I find that is with a lot of scrolls. It seems scrolls run hot. To me, anyway. Some, all the, some of the digital scrolls will have that on them as well, if I remember correctly. The ones that load and unload. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've worked on a few of those. Yeah. yeah and they've sent me, they've sent me for a loop. <laughs> yeah, some of those are, can be very tricky. Very tricky. <laughs> so we got a few, but not, not a ton of them yet. But it seems that more and more are coming out and getting put in these units, or at least with the liquid injection as well. So let's talk about the defrost part of it. And you did a video uh, that I, I watched um, the other day and you were explaining the defrost time clock mm -hmm. and how it worked and where you should be breaking, um, breaking that. You're talking about how when you were younger, you thought it had to be, the defrost cycle had to be broken from both sides of a 208 circuit, but then you realize it only had to be broken from one side and then you had yep. this little rig set up and you were showing us how how that worked with that little thermostat thing you had there so you want to explain that in kind of detail and that that video or how you broke it down in the video oh yeah well the last one i just did was on the just how uh, the solenoid mm -hmm. how to break the solenoid circuit call yeah it like the loop the, we call it the loop like the thermostat loop your control loop mm -hmm. whatever so, how do I explain this without looking at it? That's why I probably have to like see things too. Um, it's just basically you have 230 volts going through. So, basically, one's your line, one's your neutral, but it's still you have 115 on each line. Uh -huh. So, I always thought back in the day, like, say you were wiring something through your thermostat, you know, when it opens, it breaks, stops the voltage, shuts off your solenoid, say. But I always used to think it was breaking both lines. It was really hard for me to understand this. It took me a, a good, like, four years to really kind of grasp electrical. And one day it kind of just hit me. I'm like, okay, now I think I know how this works, <laughs> you know? So it's like you, you, 
how do I explain it? You, you're just breaking one side of those two lines to do it. Is that by explaining this right? I don't yeah, no, know. no, no. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You, you just break sounding... Yeah, you break one it, side of the line and then you still, yep. but to, to the other side of the solenoid, you still have 115. Yes. Volts. Yeah. That, like, that's what I could never, it took me a while to understand that. I'm like, why do I still have voltage here when I'm checking the solenoid coil, say? I'm like, shouldn't there be zero volts here? Like, it, I couldn't understand that. You know, that both lines were powered, say, on a uh -huh. 230 volt or a 460 volt circuit. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, solenoids wouldn't be 460 anyway, but you know what I'm saying with that. I, I just couldn't grasp the fact that you're only breaking one side. Doesn't really matter what side it is, but you're only breaking one line. And by doing that, you're taking your voltage away from your solenoid, so then it will shut down. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that a 208 control voltage circuit is complicated because of that. Because yes. you're, you're, go, you're going through with your meter trying to find things and you're getting like 115 there and like 150. I'm like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> what's going on here? And I've, I've always found 208 control circuits to be a little bit <clears throat> challenging to troubleshoot at times. I couldn't understand like when a, a control say was closed, even a thermostat that you would read zero volts across it and it was yep. open, you then you would read voltage. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's yeah. what gets confusing with it, I think, especially for a lot of younger techs, because I know it confused the heck out of me. <laughs> with it, any no, voltage, it, it, 24 it, volts, anything, you know, 115. It, yeah, it, it it confused me too, and and I think if you think about it as like um, like if if you draw if you draw a straight line and then basically put a switch in the middle of that line and then make the switch close, so it just looks look looks like one complete line. You draw an arrow on one side of the switch and one on the other. So now, if you pretend that, let's say you pretend that. This is that switch is a filter and you, you convert it to airflow. I'm just, maybe this might help people understand it that. And if you put your mm -hmm. manometer, if you put your manometer on each arrow, like your differential manometer and you put it across there mm -hmm. and there was zero resistance across that switch, you would have mm -hmm. the same pressure on each side. So you'd have zero mm -hmm. difference, right? Yep. That's basically the same thing. When the switch is closed and you put your yes. meter across it, there's zero difference across that switch. So that's why you're getting zero. So, right. and then, then if you open the switch, let's say you open the switch and you draw that same line and then open the switch and you draw an arrow down before the switch and then one after, um, it's like the airflow again, but now you have a plugged filter, right? Now you have a plugged filter. Right. So, so now yeah. you're going to have a different a different a differential reading you're going to have a, a reading on one side that differentiates from the reading on the other so i think that kind of helps hopefully that helps yeah explain. that's actually a, a pretty good explanation especially so that, with the arrows too because you're kind of thinking like i sort of look at it too like in my mind i'm like oh the yep. electricity is moving so it's moving this way and it's moving that way yeah so when it's hitting each other say from one side to the other you're reading zero, but if something's open, it's going to stop somewhere. So then you're reading voltage. I know that sounds weird, but it's kind of how I 
look at it in my mind. Oh, here comes here comes my uh, here comes my little four year old. Yes, all right. <laughs> okay, go get a snack, bud. <laughs> nice. I told him every time I'm doing a podcast, I say, "Do not come downstairs because you're going to make a lot of noise and you're going to disturb me." And, <laughs> and every oh, that's all right. every every time he walks downstairs, and he has to tell me something. He just wants a snack, but yep. now he's rummaging around and. But believe it or not, I'm sitting out in my truck right now because. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to edit this part yeah. out, Chris, because I, I think I got to oh, help him open right. this this bag of uh, yeah. chips. No problem. So I'm Here, sitting but... out in my truck right now, just so probably the only quiet I could get with the dogs with bark or something, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay, I'll see you upstairs in like ten, fifteen minutes. Okay, bud. <laughs> nice awesome yeah you know what i used to sit i used to sit in my truck too uh when i did the podcasts because yeah it was the only quiet i could get and then i started doing them after the kids went to bed but because because of covid in the summer and all that the kids are used to staying up later and oh, sleep, yeah. sleeping in so now they're now they're up to like 9 30 10 o'clock and they, yep. they don't wake up till like 8 39 in the morning i'm like so it screwed everything up but anyway oh yeah for sure <laughs> definitely but i got two dogs in the house and they bark at everything that walks by and all that so drive me nuts so yeah I'm, i hear you man mm -hmm. okay so maybe maybe we should continue on this this discussion a little bit with with the refrigeration and get into mm. um types of defrost that you see out there uh hot gas I'm, I'm assuming is one of them right yeah so i used to a lot when we were doing um the rack systems those were with hot gas but now it's mainly it's the stuff we do now the majority is electric electric yep. heaters unless it's and, cooler with the air defrost of course with the fans yeah and i was on a uh an interview with john broughton from danfoss few months back and he was talking about water defrost have you ever seen it or heard of it never heard of it yeah neither neither no. neither did i until that until i i talked to him and he said basically it's like there's like a pipe above the uh the uh, the evap and in the defrost cycle it actually sprays water down onto the evaporator to melt the ice wow yeah. never heard of that neither have i so it must, if it it must was be hot like, water yeah well i i don't know if it's hot or or i even if even if it's spraying down at 60 degrees fahrenheit onto the ice it's going to melt it eventually right yeah that would work awesome actually i would think i know set I know, up I, right somehow yeah and and <laughs> i know a lot of people that have uh, i've made videos of me in a freezer like defrosting a coil with a propane torch and they're like well I'll get a hose and defrost it that way and i'm like yep. it sounds like a good idea but i think i would make a terrible mess in here with a hose <laughs> a hose would it, it 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 can for sure yes <laughs> and and i don't know where to get water yeah we used to i use i used to use a torch i use um not you know like the pump sprayers the handheld pump sprayers are like two gallons or whatever you pump yep. them up i use those usually with hot water seems to work the best mm -hmm. because you can't yep. be dragging a hose into a walk-in freezer going to go on the floor and then you're going to have a skating rink 
in there. It's all going to freeze to the floor. It's going to be a disaster for the most part. But say on like supermarket cases or uh, multi-door cases where the evap is right in the bottom in the pan, that's what you can use a hose on something like that. And it works amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Nothing beats the hot water. That's for sure. Oh yeah. yeah if, if you're able to, able to get the hot water somewhere, that's another issue you can run into. <laughs> no hot water anywhere. Mm-hmm. No. So I tried, I tried a tool today uh, for the very first mm-hmm. time that I think would be, I'm just thinking now it's a coil cleaner, but I think it would be fabulous if you could utilize it to melt ice off coils if needed be. It's actually a battery powered coil cleaner. So I'm just thinking now, water defrost, if I could put hot water in a couple of these bags and go into that thing and spray this thing down with this battery powered coil cleaner, um, I think that would work. I think that would work well, actually. Better than my, pro- my little propane. Device. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Dude, this is funny. You know, what we used to do years ago when we had the supermarket, some of the cases, there was no way to get hot water in these stores without running, you know, like 500 feet of hose through a major store, which you can't do. So we used to have to get a little, um, you know, like a, li- like a little electric pump, like a little sump pump or whatever it is, hook up polytube to it. And we'd fill up like trash barrels or five gallon buckets full of hot water, bring them over in a shopping cart or on some type of cart, plug those in and defrost like that. It was terrible. <laughs> it took forever, but it was, it was all we could do. Mm-hmm. Some of these stores. Oh, it was nuts. Let's say you got, you know, 10, 15 glass doors all frozen up all the way down. Be defrosting cases for eight, ten hours. It was awful. That's nuts. Not fun. Yeah, be out doing that all night. And a lot of a lot of I'll throw this out there. I think a lot of people that don't know refrigeration that well, they they know that hey, yeah, it's colder. They know that um, we have to defrost the coil at some point. But a lot of people don't understand that you also have to defrost or keep the uh, the drain the drain warm. Right, we mm-hmm. gotta we gotta put some heat trace around the drain and make sure it's insulated. Um, and we, yeah. I, I've seen them powered up all the time, and I've seen them powered up only when this when the unit is in defrost. How do you see them? Um, if you're talking about the heat trace that goes around the actual the whole drain line, how yeah, we, uh, in, yeah, in freezers, um, especially we have they're all wrapped in heat tape and then they're insulated with Armaflex yep. over them as well. And those yep. run 24-7. Yeah, good idea. 24-7. And then there's some buildings, even, you know, Europe and Canada, right? Yeah. So yep. you, have, you have cold winters. We do. <laughs> so even even if just, just say it's a walk-in cooler, but just the end of your drain line is stubbed out the outside of the building six inches, that still has to be heated because in the winter that's going to freeze. Yeah. On the outside, and it's going to block up your drain. Anything. So we have to have them heated, you know, going to the outside as well if it's not all in the building, you know. Uh huh. But, and even those, they're, they're still running 24. So even now in the middle of the summer, those things are still just plugged in and going. You know, we don't go around and unplug them or power them off or anything. Yeah. And just that's why I wanted on. to ask you that. Because I've seen some of them where it, they only power up when the unit is in defrost, 
and mm -hmm. I haven't seen a problem with those specific units yet. But mind you, there's only a short run of pipe in the actual freezer. It's maybe only like three or four feet of pipe in the actual freezer. So, I mean, if it was a longer run, then yeah, potentially we might need to get those powered up for the entire 24 seven um, type thing just to keep them heated all the time because you never know if there's residual water in there after yes. frost that, that could, that could freeze up and back up the drain next time. Absolutely. That's, that's why I think here we don't even take that risk. They're just always going. Mm -hmm. They usually have their own separate um, electrical outlet too, right? Yes, you know, that's so right. You plug them in, but I have seen other ones on um, certain cases or things like that over the years that they will only power up on defrost, which I think is foolish because the defrost cycle isn't long enough. And if you had that ice built up in there, you're not going to melt it in time. I say the drain line built up with ice because I've, I've seen it, you know, just seeing a heat tape go or heat trace pipe fills up, you split your pipe. I'm sure you've seen that many times. You got to burst pipe yep. because of that and your drain line or wherever, even, even water lines in places around here because of the winters you have to have them heated. Say they're running through a parking garage or somewhere outside. You know, they gotta be. At least in places that get cold winters and can get extended cold, mm -hmm. you know, where it doesn't get above, you know, freezing temp Yeah. for days at a time. Mm -hmm. So what about, um, before we head out, I don't want to keep you forever yeah. here. Um, what about maintenance on a refrigeration system? What sort of maintenance are you performing when you go out and, and check these things? Um, normally we're doing... It depends on the customer. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, um, normally it's like twice a year, um, spring and fall. Always washing the condensers in the spring, of course, um, and evaporators. Fall is usually evaporators. And then there's other customers, like say these pharmaceutical places or whatnot, they want stuff like that done every um, 90 days usually. So, but then we also go through and we, we do all our checkouts. We, um, we do, um, we have our stuff on a tablet now and we don't do any more paper. Everything's electrical now. So all digital. So That's we awesome. have a whole check, whole checkout form that we do for the customer and we will do their paperwork if they also need it. But we go through the whole unit. We we're checking pressures. We're checking amps. We're checking contactors, fan motors, superheats, everything. It sort of all depends what the customer wants as well. Sometimes yep. they just want this stuff washed. They don't care. They just want it running. They don't care. But there's other ones that it, it gets, it gets really in depth. Like a PM isn't just washing stuff. You know, a PM is really checking things out. You know, any for pitting on your contactors or all your pressure controls working right. You know, if they're mechanical controls like pens or Johnson's or whatever, Ranco's make sure there's no corrosion in them or rust because I've seen a lot of those old controls seize up in the winter, especially they'll freeze up and they won't work. They'll stick, leave the stick on or off. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've probably seen that as well, but it's just really going through all that stuff. You know, like I said, Freon charges, just every, even oil, oil levels, oil, 
like say how the oil looks, mm-hmm. do oil changes possibly if need be. Anything, check restrictions and dryers, things like that. Some um, plates that have the replaceable core dryers on suction in liquid lines, some customers want those done as part of their maintenance. You know, do that as well. Cool. So what what about um what about like crankcase heaters, receiver heaters? Oh, of course, yes. Obviously make sure those are working. Yeah. Yep. Make sure those are working. Like, you know, a lot of those too, um, you know, especially on receivers, you'll see them. They're already they're insulated too. Some of yep. that, so the heater will be underneath. So you gotta make make sure that's working. You got your voltage, you're drawing your amps, all that good stuff. Make sure your headmaster's working right. When you check stuff, a lot of times you can't really check those, though, at least personally. I don't really check them or see them functioning right until it's colder out. That's you know, right. Make sure they're, maybe, they're doing maybe, their thing. Maybe we should explain quickly for the people that don't know what exactly a headmaster is. Um, a headmaster, I sort of look at it like an expansion valve, even though it's not, but it, it's for your for your head pressure. Of course, for your high side, it, it will maintain a certain head pressure. In cold, cold areas of the country, the world, or whatever, you have to maintain a certain amount of head pressure. So if your condenser fans are running all the time, say, and it's wintertime, you're not going to have a high enough head pressure to maintain the right amount of cooling inside your unit. So it's a lot of the ones we have here, are, um, they're, they're set, they're 180 PSI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Zephyr 180. So, say you didn't have that headmaster, and both your fans are running one fan, two fans, ten fans, whatever you have. If that's running it, you're blowing five degree air temp over your condenser in the winter. You're gonna have like a hundred pound head pressure. You can't yep. do anything with that. Which yep. I don't think a lot of people understand either. That you need, you have to have a the right amount of head pressure as well in the air conditioning and refrigeration to to make sure things are working right. They won't work right without that either. So if your head pressure is too low, too high, of course, you're not going to be running to your capacity or as efficient. So what Headmaster basically does is when, say it's set for 180 PSI to maintain 180 PSI head pressure, what it will do if it starts dropping below that, the headmaster is connected to your discharge line with the other side going into your receiver. So it will start to open up and allow some of that discharge gas to go in your receiver. So it all won't go into your condenser. So it maintains like 180 PSI going down to your evaporator. So you maintain that pressure to keep your proper cooling capacity. It's probably my best way to explain it, I guess. I think yeah, I have the, a video on, on my channel. I do actually oh, cool. I think a couple about um, okay. explaining headmasters with the diagrams and <laughs> the boys down here. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's sit, all right. Sit down and watch. That's fine, but you have to be quiet. Go sit on your carpet over there. So the ones, the ones that I see, um, I've seen the dual, like um, dual, or it's it's like an all in one. Um, and then I've seen separate where the, the, the one, like the, uh, the outlet of the condenser, it will block off. It will, it will allow the condenser to fill up, raise the, the pressure uh, of the discharge or the condenser pressure. And then while that's yeah. doing that, there's a, a differential, uh, an ORD, 
um, that mm -hmm. allows flow to still circulate through the system while that, while that, I guess it would be called an ORI, um, allow, yeah. while, while, <clears throat> open, open rise inlet. So that's that there's, there's an ORI and an ORD. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of mm -hmm. one specific unit that I work on. Um, the yep. ORI closes off the, the condenser pressure builds and then the ORD allows flow through the system still. So we, we don't just choke off flow to the evaporator. And then when that, when right. that, when that head pressure gets to the point where it is, um, basically it opens back up again and then the ORD, um, stops flowing. So yep. have you seen it like that as well? What would the two components? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've seen them like that as well. Those are usually, um, what I've seen, at least from what I work on, they're on larger units. I think people can pick apart from that conversation, the differences between the, the air conditioning system they work on, whether it be a 10 ton rooftop, a two ton split system, resi or, or whatever it may be. But I think they can tell the difference between all the bells yes. and whistles we've, we've talked about um, that refrigeration has to oh. offer that a small AC doesn't or even a medium-sized yes. AC, or even a large AC, does, yep. AC doesn't. We could go on for hours if we really wanted to get into it, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Crazy. 100%. So, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. Before, yeah. we, before we go, you should tell everybody um, how they can watch you on YouTube and what your Instagram handle is and all that so they can give you a follow. Oh, sure. Uh, my YouTube channel is um, CSC Refrigeration and HVAC. Uh, my Instagram handle is the same thing. It's, you know, at CSC refrigeration and HVAC. That's awesome. And old Boston boy still doing refrigeration, I guess. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. That was a very cool conversation. As always, I, I love talking to technicians in this field and just get their story and their angle and their experiences because I think it makes me better to listen to them. And I think it makes you better as well. Because every single person, even if you know this trade very, very well, like the back of your hand, there's always something to learn and always something to pick up from somebody else's experiences. And if you don't think there is, you might as well stop listening to this podcast because that's not the right attitude to have. The right attitude to have is to keep an open mind about everything in this industry, about everything, and allow it to naturally progress and see what happens. So I always preach testing. People online, they're like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a piece of crap. Well, have you used it? No. Have you seen it in action? No. Well, how do you know if you don't test? Anyway, we are approaching half a million downloads in about two and a half years. And the first year was a little bit, second year was better. This last half year has been on fire. And I got to thank you guys for that. You guys are the ones tuning in and listening and for the first time, we're hitting like 30,000 downloads in a month, which is incredible. Um, that number just keeps slowly escalating. And we're going to hit half a million downloads very, very soon in total. So thank you guys very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate that genuinely from the bottom of my heart because this podcast doesn't exist without all of you. Anyway, that being said, I got work to do. So you get back to work as well. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast, guys. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, 
and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.